see so many of you here in the summer, and uh, it is summer, and it's, it's a great, great, uh, great season, short season, but great season. For those who are listening online or you're checking in live uh, via FaceTime, that's pretty cool too, and grateful to have you with us and to be with you. And so, um, summer, it's summer, a chance to go and experience different places, you know, maybe vacation, maybe you're going to travel, I don't know if you have plans, maybe you are traveling and you're listening while you're traveling on our, on our podcast, but I guess maybe my question for you this morning is, do you want to see the world? Do you want to see the world? Would you like to see the world? Travel Zoo had a, had a um, uh, whatever, the, this thing where they allowed people to send in the names of three people that they wanted to see, have a chance to see the world, uh, to travel the world and see the world. And uh, they, they sent three different people to places that they had never imagined or even possible. And, and they got to experience this, uh, the incredible beauty of our planet. And, you know, right, right now, as I was look, looking up the most popular vacation destinations, there's just like places all over the world. But then there's also places in Canada like Jasper and out, out east, beautiful places to see. And it's that little part of us. We want to see the world. Uh, a couple of my buddies the other, in the last couple of weeks, actually, they've all uh, had three times where one of them you know, had said to me, you got to see this place. And uh, the one guy is like, I got to take you to Fenway Park. Uh, just to go see the Jays and, and the, uh, the Boston Red Sox. And I was like, well, I've been to Fenway Park with you before. And it was like, it was like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And he's like, yeah, that you could have twice in a lifetime. And I was like, well, okay, if you want to take me, let me know when we're going, right? And then uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, t- teaching on Ephesus, this place in, um, in, in Turkey. And there was a guy here, who CPAN, who had been to, uh, to Ephesus. And he says, Mark, you, he says, I got to take you to this place where you can actually stand on the amphitheater and look down. He's like, the picture is one thing, but if you stand there, it's amazing. He's like, I got to take you there someday. I'm like, okay, well, if you're taking me, you know, let's uh, just let me know when. And then uh, this past week, I had a friend of mine who um, just recently, actually recently became friends with him. And uh, he, his dad lives in Dubai. And he's like, oh man, he's like, I got to take you to Dubai. He's like, you have not seen anything until you've seen Dubai. You think, you know, the, 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 the cars you see around here are cool every once in a while. There, everybody drives cool cars. He's like, I got to take you to Dubai. And so I was like, okay, well, when you want to take me, I'll just let Beth know, and so I'm going to go on vacation with a few other men instead. So it's going to be, um, uh, if you don't see me, that's probably where I am. But uh, do you want to see the world? Do you want to see the world? You know, God actually wants you to see the world. That's the thought that I had this morning. God wants you to see the world, but maybe not the way you think. And so this morning, a couple of questions leading in. Have you ever seen, seen things differently from someone else? Married people? <laughs> it leads to conflict a lot of times, right? How do I make them see the way I see? You know, we have, we have church denominations and, and all over the place simply because people couldn't see it the same way. I'm like, how am I going to make them see the way I see? And we, we do. We see things differently than other people. Um, but how many times have you seen di- things differently than you used to see them? Think about back to when you were a kid. Like, I, I look at my kids now, and I just remember, they remind me of me as a child. And, I, like, they see things so differently. Things like time. The other day, they were fighting, so I had them sit on the stairs. I was like, okay, I'm setting a timer, and when the timer goes off, you guys can't talk until the timer goes off, but then I'm going to give you a chance to apologize to one another and make it right, and, and, uh, and if you can't at that point, then we'll set the timer again for a little bit more time, so you have a time to think about it. And I came back after the timer went, and they immediately repented and made it right with each other, and, and uh, so then I asked them, like, how long do you guys think you were sitting there? And Finn's like, 15 minutes. And I was like, really? And Max is like, no, Finn, it was like 20 minutes. And I looked at them, I'm like, really? Finn's like, half an hour? I was like, and Max's like, it must have been a whole hour, Finn. And I was like, 
I was like, are you guys going to let me tell you? And finally, like, yeah, okay, Dad, how many minutes? Four minutes. <laughs> it's like, it just feels like eternity. But for us, like, time just feels like it goes by so fast. Things like bedtime. My kids think that's like the worst punishment every single day. Bedtime. Oh, do we have to go to bed? I'm at the end of the day. I'm like, oh, finally I get to go to bed, right? It's just, it's, we see things so differently. Marriage. You know, my kids, they see, you know, they see us and, you know, I give my wife a kiss and they're like, ooh, and like, you just don't know yet. You know, it's like, we see things so different. Maybe you still see marriages, ooh, but I, I feel bad for you because marriage is incredibly great, but how differently we see things than once we see, than we've seen them before. It's kind of my hope this morning that as we, as we study his word that we'll see the world differently than we've seen it before. Uh, last week we just talked about John Newton and his story of amazing grace, how grace changed his life and how that song has changed so many lives since. And he writes these words, I, I once was blind, but now I see. And he, he, he describes that as I didn't know the Lord and I was blind to all of that, and, but now I see but I think sometimes we're blind to other things, and we don't even realize it. How we see the world, we're often blind to it. And there's, there's uh, some other thoughts we're going to look at as well. But before we do, let's jump into, uh, into the Word this morning. So if you have your Bible, whether it's paper or on your phone, just go to Genesis chapter 16. That's where we're going to start um, this morning. Genesis 16, um, the reason I think that uh, God wants us to see the world is because He sees the world. God sees the world, and here's, here's, the, here's the story. Genesis 16, we won't, uh, we're, uh, let me just set the story for you. Genesis 16 is like a beautiful story that doesn't start very beautiful. It starts with this dysfunctional home. And sometimes you think, man, the people, our homes, homes around us are a little dysfunctional. This one, it's just right up there. And it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, you can trust that the Bible is not fairy tales. They don't, they don't write fairy tales um, with, with families necessarily like this. So it's a, it's a husband and wife who are struggling with infertility. She can't get pregnant. Um, God's promised that they're going to have kids, but it just ain't working. And so she finally has this great idea. She's like, hey, we have a maid. Why don't you go sleep with the maid? And the husband's like, really? Well, okay, but only because you said so, right? And he goes, he sleeps with the maid. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, um, she, she really doesn't have too much to do with this decision, but she gets pregnant. And so then, you know, this, the maid all of a sudden is like, wow, now she realizes she's pregnant. She's, she's working in the home, and all of a sudden the wife looks over, and, you know, the dishes aren't quite as clean as they were last time. She's like, you know, the dishes aren't, you know, you haven't done a really good job cleaning the dishes. She's like, yeah, well, at least I can get pregnant. And all of a sudden, fireworks. You know, the fireworks explode, and she's like, she goes and tells off her husband, that maid, you know, look what you did. This is all your fault. And he's like, well, it was your idea. Yeah, well, you're the one who started all, I didn't start all this. She's like, well, you go fix it. I'm like, I ain't getting between two fighting women. You can go fix it. And she's like, yeah, fine, then I'll go fix it. Go, okay, fine, but nothing's fine. And so she goes, and she starts harassing the maid to the point where the maid runs away. And you're like, this isn't the Bible. You should read your Bible. There's really good stuff in there. So she runs. She finally, she's like, she runs away. Her name is Hagar, and we're going to pick up the story of this young woman who's now pregnant. She's alone in a hostile environment. When you, when she, you know, when you, she, she runs away, it's not like here where, you know, you can, you can run like a little ways and there's another house. This is like you running into the wilderness. There's, there's nothing else there. And in Genesis 16, verse 7, it picks up here saying the angel, which is also another word for like the messenger of the Lord, uh, it's believed that this is actually the Lord appearing to her uh, in a way that, that just didn't shock her to death. Because if the Lord showed up, you know, in a place and you're like, oh, you wouldn't be able to speak. But he has a conversation with her. And in this conversation, we get a good idea of how God really sees people and how God interacts with people. 
It says this, the angel, the messenger of the Lord, found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. So I just want you to picture that. Here's Hagar. She's, she's sitting, sitting by the thing. All of a sudden, this person walks up to her. This person walks up, and she sees him. And all of a sudden, he says these words to her. He says, um, he says to her, Hagar. He just walks up, Hagar, Sarai's servant, right? And it's like, she's like, you know my name? We've never met before. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know your name. You're Hagar, right? And I think one of the things that's so powerful about this is just the fact that God knows your name. Love that song we sang. You called my name because he knows your name. If you're sitting here this morning and you think, eh, you know, I'll just do this church thing, this is so much bigger than that. The God of the universe knows, knows your name. And he says he calls her by name. But then, you know, he read, he, the next thing he just asks her is this question, hey, where have you come from? He already knows, but he's asking her anyways. You know, I, I think it's neat to see that he doesn't make a judgment call right away. He doesn't walk up and be like, oh, there's Hagar. Sarah. She's pregnant. How does she get pregnant? She's not married. That little hussy, she probably deserved to be kicked out. He doesn't look at her at all like that. He just asks her, hey, what, what's your story? How did you get here? What are, you, what are you doing way out, away from home? What's your story? See, we can tend to be quick to fill in the details when we see somebody. When we meet them, we're quick to fill in the details of, of what we think about that person. But, but he, and he says, you know, where have you come from? And, and where are you going? And she responds with this. She's like, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. I'm running away. Have you ever run away before? Because I was reading this, I thought about the last, like the last time I ran away. I was 15 years old. I think it's the only time I ran away. Uh, my parents forgot my birthday, uh, as many of you did this week as well, just to know. But I'm not running away. Uh, but they forgot my 15th birthday. And uh, it was, they were busy, and, and they had this conference I had to go to that night. And it was about 5 o'clock, close to 5 o'clock, that they had to leave. And I was like, man, they're just not remembering at all. And I thought, maybe by the end of the day, they're going to remember. They didn't remember. So at 4 o'clock, I ran away. I ran 300 meters all the way to my shed. And I was going to live there for the rest of my life. And so I sat in my shed and I watched from, the, from there to see whether my parents would stop and say, hey, we're missing a son. We should go find him. Oh, wait, it's his birth. Oh, son, we bought you a new car, which you can have in a year from now. Something like that in my, in my mind. But it, it didn't go that way. They just drove away. And I was like, this is t- that's it. I'm, staying, I'm not going home ever again. And I sat there for maybe another 15 minutes and then I got hungry. And I looked at my pet pigeons and I'm like, I'm going to have to eat my pets. I'm going home. And I went home. And that's the extent of my runaway journey. This one, way bigger, way more to it. She's running away with no idea where she's going and no chance of, of saying that she can go, she go back. And he says, Hagar, where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress. And that question, well, where are you going? Like, what's the future for you? Where are you, where are you headed? I could just picture her voice, you know, I don't know. I didn't plan for any of this to happen. This wasn't my idea. I yeah, maybe I kind of hoped that after I got pregnant that things might change. Like, I was a slave, for goodness sakes. Now, maybe, maybe if once I had a child, I'd be elevated to like, you know, a wife status or something that I wouldn't have to be the slave anymore. But, but this wasn't my plan. I never planned to be out here all by myself. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I think as that angel's talking to her, he's saying, you know, can I give you a suggestion of what I, God, think you should do? Here's what he says in verse 9. The angel of the Lord then says to her, and just picture, this is, a, this is a conversation. He says, return to your mistress and submit to her, um, to her authority. And he added, I'm going to give you more descendants than you can count. She's like, this conversation is just not what I expected. Here's a person just asking me some questions, and now he's telling me I'm going to have more descendants. N- nobody knows that except for God. 
Well, then the angel also said, and now you're pregnant, and you know what? You're going to give birth to a son. She has no idea that she's going to give birth to a son. But all of a sudden she does now. He says, you know what? You're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. Because I want you every time that you say his name, that God hears you. He's heard your cry of distress. Something maybe sounding like that. Great timing, baby. Heard your cry of distress. And he says, you know what? You're going to use that name Ishmael a lot. As parents, you know, when your kids are a little crazy, you yell out all their names. Maddox, sorry, and Dirk, get in here. You can just picture, he's like, Hagar, you're going to be yelling God hears a lot. And here's what he says, verse 12. This son of yours, he's going to be a wild man. He's un, as untamed as a wild donkey. He's going to raise his fist against everyone, and everyone's going to be against him. Uh, yes, he's going to live in open hostility against all of his relatives. You know, some of you think you have difficult children. <laughs> he's like, God hears. Ishmael, God, God hears. A reminder for her, verse 13, Therefore, there and thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her, and she said, You are the God who sees me. And she also added, Have I, have I truly seen the one who sees me? And I think just a powerful thought in, in these two, these two um, sentences. She says, El, El Roy is the words in uh, Hebrew. It's this, it's this you're, you're the God who sees me. And that word sees, is, is not a, it's not a verb like us. Like if I, Mark, sees something, that's a, that's a verb. I'm seeing something. I'm doing something. She says that's, that's not what she calls him. She calls him the seeing God, the one who always, it's a noun. It's, it's who he is. It's not what he's doing. And it's the same thing like when others would describe John would later say God is love, which means he can't stop loving. So if you're ever in that spot where you're like, I don't think God loves me, he can't not love you. It's because it's who he is. And, and she realizes he also sees me. He can't stop seeing me. He's the God who sees everything all the time, everywhere. And maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. As you sit in this place, and you wonder, does God even care? Does God notice? Does God know what I'm going through? Yeah, he does. Because he can't not see He's the God who's all-seeing all the time. And does he care? Yeah, he cares, because he can't stop loving. There's, it's, it's who he is. The psalmists, the proverb writers of um, Job and Peter in the New Testament wrote about this. They're like, his eyes are everywhere. His eyes are on everything. He's the God who sees. And maybe this morning you find yourself in a bit of a difficult place. Maybe it's a really difficult place. God sees you there. Have no doubt in the fact that he sees you. Have no doubt in the fact that he loves you. But I... I think the next question is more important to ask. And it's the one that Hagar asks. And she says, the God who sees me, you're the God who sees me. But have I truly seen the one who sees me? And that word's different. Have I truly looked? Have I done something to look to the one who's looking for me? Have I looked to the one who sees me? Maybe you're here this morning or you have friends this morning who have gone through difficult stuff and they just look to everything else. And every single time, it leaves them empty. You know, they thought, ah, you know, weed's legal now. It's going to maybe, you know, make the, it's going to numb some of the pain, and yet the, the pain comes back. Maybe it's other drugs. He thought, oh, he's just in those moments, I feel better than I feel, but, but then the pain comes back. You know, maybe for you or for others, they thought, oh, sex is going to be, that's what I need to feel loved on the inside, or it's that craving for intimacy, and you think that's where you're going to find it. And just more empty after each relationship than the one before. Maybe you thought alcohol was going to make you cool in front of all your buddies. And now they're all gone and your only buddy is alcohol. You know, maybe, maybe you thought a little more money was going to make you happier. And now all you do is work, 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 chasing just one more dollar, one more dime. Maybe you thought that more stuff was going to make you happier. 
and now you're just mastered by debt trying to keep up. Maybe for you this morning, you thought religion was going to make you feel better about you. If I could sit in a church or if I could, you know, do something good, maybe, I, maybe I'll feel better about who I am. And yet you sit and you feel like a hypocrite on the inside. You know, can I give you a suggestion of what I think, <laughs> what I think you should do? I think the question Hagar asked is so important. Have, have I actually looked at the one who's looking for me? Have I actually looked to the one who sees me? Because Isaiah simply said if, if, that the Lord said, if people will look to me, they'll be saved. They'll be changed. If they would just look to me. We talked about it last week, having our eyes on Jesus. If we just look to him, all the rest of it changes simply because we're looking to him. Have you looked? And for some of you, you're like, that's my fear. I, I don't want to look to the one who really knows me. See, we live in a culture that's so, um, so conditioned to wear, to wear masks. We don't really want people to really see us. There's a part of us that does, but we're so scared. We're so scared. We have a church mask we put on. We wear different clothes. We wear a different smile. We walk in sometimes. We're like, this is, this is regular me till an hour from now. And then there's our social media mask where we just put up all our highlights of Hopefully, people are going to think, my life is that awesome. And inside, it just isn't. You know, there's the masks that we put on around, you know, maybe on the dating sites. You know, maybe you see the face and the profile, and then you meet them. You're like, what? Tall, dark, and handsome? Like we said before, yeah, they're tall, and when it's dark, they're handsome. And it's, it's these thoughts of, it's not what I thought. You know, and even around friends, we're like, you do things around your friends that inside you're just like, oh, I hate that I do this, but it's the mask we wear, the mask we wear. What would they think? And what would the one who really sees me, what does he think about me? Why is it so important that we see that? You know, it's not a brand new thought. It's 2,300 years after this um, true story happens. We, 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 we meet up with Jesus Jesus, who claimed that he was God multiple times, and then he dies and he raises from the dead to prove that he's God. You're like, God, what do you think of me? He's like, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I, what I think. And he explains to a group of people one day what God thinks about people and how God sees the world. How does God see the world? Luke, who was one of the, um, the guys who went to all the eyewitnesses he could find, said, tell me the stories about Jesus. I want to get it right so whoever reads this can know that they have a trustworthy account. Here's what Luke writes. He writes in Luke 15, some famous stories. We're not gonna, I'm just going to paraphrase them this morning, but Luke 15, verses 1 to 2. Um, it says, some tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And he says there's two groups of people here because they decided there would be two groups of people. He says the tax collectors and sinners would come in here, and this made the group of people called the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They would complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Jesus, why are you hanging out with them when you could be hanging out with us? You know, we're the people who are good. Why don't you hang out with us? And so Jesus said, let me tell you a couple stories. You want to know why I don't hang out with you? Or maybe, maybe do you want to know why I choose to hang out with them? You look at them and you see those sinful people. Let, let me tell you a few stories about how God sees people. And so then he tells the story of a man who had lost a sheep. He had lost a sheep. He had, he had 99 other sheep, he says. But he lost this one. And what does he do? He says, I'm going to go find that one. Because that one is important. You're like, oh, we're good. We got 99. No, that one is important. And so he goes until, he looks until he finds it. And he says, you know what they do after that? You know, you know what they do after they find that sheep? And they're like, we don't know. He's like, 
he celebrates it. He calls everyone over for a barbecue and say, hey, we're going to have barbecue calf today. You know, not, not lamb today. We found him. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. They celebrate it. And he says, you know what? It's also like this, like, like a woman who, who loses a, a coin. And so she sweeps the whole house until she finds that coin. You know what she does at the end? She calls all her girlfriends like, come on over. I lost a coin, but I found it. You don't have to help me sweep the house. You just come over and celebrate. He says, you know what? It's like that in heaven. When that one person, that one, you look at them as sinful people, when they return to God, heaven's celebrating it. But let me tell you one more story that maybe hits a little closer to home for you guys. The ones who, let me me tell you how I think you see them and how God sees them. And he tells the story of the lost son. The son who takes his father's money and he goes and he wastes it on sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Then he runs out of money and his party turns into a pig pen. And there he's sitting you know, knee-deep in pig crap, starving, wishing he could eat what the pigs are eating. And he wants to go home, and he wonders, what's dad going to think of me? What's my father going to think? As Jesus tells the story, he makes this son's life out to be something just, he, he, he runs it up to the max of how terrible this kid is. And the Pharisees are sitting there listening like, ah, one terrible son. You know the rest of the story, but they don't. They're sitting there listening, and they're wondering, I wonder what's going to happen. This kid thinks he's, does he really think he's going to go back home after he rips off his father, after he wastes all the inheritance money, and after he, like, he's, he's at the bottom of, he, he's, gonna, he's thinking of going home. And they sit there and they're like, oh man, I hope he goes home because I want to know how the story's going to end. Maybe they're like, let's pray for him. Dear father, please protect this boy for the butt whooping he's about to receive. You know, and he's heading home. And, the, and on the other side, you see all the tax collectors and sinners are like, this, this, this story sounds like, Kind of like my life. I, don't go home. Don't, I don't, don't go home. And Jesus just lets them hang there for a little bit. And he says, you know what? The son does decide to go home. They're like, they're like oh, I can't wait. And they're like, can't wait. You know, and so as, as he, he says, as he's walking home, he starts rehearsing in his mind. Okay, this is what I'm going to tell dad. This is what I'm going to tell dad. Dad, ah, oh, man, I screwed up. And I'm not worth even being called a son. Just, just make me a slave because at least then I'll get to eat. Yeah, okay, that sounds good. Dad, you know, I'm, I'm not worth being called a son. Just, just make me a slave. At least then I'll be able to eat. Man, maybe if I say, Dad, I'm really, really not worth being called. Can you just picture he's wandering home miles and miles with this conversation going over and over in his head. And then here's what Jesus says. As, as they're all picturing and waiting, it, he, uh, he says this, verse 15 to 20. So he returned to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Why? Because he's like, you want to know what God's like? He's looking. He's seeing the world. He's seeing this guy a long way off. He's coming, and before he's got his life figured out, before he's got everything, you know, back to to square one, he still smells like a pig. He hasn't fixed a thing. He hasn't earned a dollar to pay dad back. Nothing. Here's dad looking. He sees him a long way off, and he says, filled with love and compassion. The Pharisees are hoping he's going to say, filled with anger, but the, the dad's not. And they're like, what? The father they know represents God. And he's like, he's filled with compassion for this person. And it says he runs up to him. He embraces him and he kisses him. And just again, shows us the grace that's so amazing. The amazing grace. The father's response that blew that audience away that day really should blow us away every time we hear it. Because the picture of the prodigal son is the picture of us the ones who had life messed up. It's the picture of everyone around us whose life is messed up. 
who's not perfect, who hasn't lived a perfect life, which is all of us. He's like, you know how God sees all of us? Let me tell you how God sees all of us. He says, you know what? He sees them as lost. He uses these words, lost. He, he says, you guys look across, and you're like, oh, those sinful people. He's like, I don't see that. I see people who are lost, who just simply aren't connected with their Heavenly Father. Yet, how do you see them? How do you see them? You know, no one plans to get lost. You know, when you're driving and you find yourself lost, you're not like, yeah, I just planned this. You know, I remember driving up north. with We took the wrong road to Perry Sound and uh, ended up in Gravenhurst. And as we're driving, I called my parents. I'm like, they're like, hey, are you here? almost here yet? I'm like, no, we're in Gravenhurst. They're like, Gravenhurst? What are you doing out there? Like, I planned to go this way for the scenic route. We just wanted the kids to fight for one hour more than they were planning to. No, it's like, oh, I didn't know that I was lost. I never planned to end up here, but they're lost. And John Newton said, you know what? I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's where I was, but I'm not anymore. He said, they're lost. They're blind. Do you realize that blind people don't know what they can't see? They don't know what they've never seen. They're blind to who God really is. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, you're not sure who God is. And it's, I would just simply describe this, just a blindness towards God. When, when John Newton said, I was blind, but now I see, there's lots of people who are just around you who are blind to who God really is. My buddy Pete from out east, um, Pete, if you're listening, thank you for this. You made the sermon once again. There's a song called Iron, um, there's a song by a group called Iron Bell Music. You can uh, look it up later. It was called Always Love Me. But here's the lyrics from the song. And I think the people that we look at around us and we look maybe tempted to look at and say, oh, you know, their lives are a mess. He says, Jesus says, I'd rather you looked at them as being just blind. He, here's what he says. This man sings about the Lord. He says, you're not who I thought you'd be. You're not hard to please, but you're full of patience. You're not who I thought you were. You're not cold or stern, but you're full of kindness. You're not who I heard you were. You know, you're not who everyone else told me you were. You're not keeping score, but you're full of mercy. You've always, always, always loved me. Even at my weakest, I look back and I see you've always, always, always loved me. Those are powerful thoughts. But if you can't see it, if you can't see it, people I think so often are just blind to who God really is. They think he's like the angry guy in the sky who just doesn't care about anybody or anything. And right now, there's people all around you who are blind to who he is. Would you just humor me for a minute? Would you just close your eyes for a minute? Don't fall asleep. It won't be that long. But just close your eyes for a minute. And if I were to tell you right now that with in complete darkness to ask you, would you get up? Don't do it. But would you get up and make your way to the cafe? Most of you in this room would be able to find your way back to the cafe. But if I said, hey, I want you to find your way to Caledonia without opening your eyes, you would never find it on your own. You would never find it on your own. I'm going to bet that for any of you who've seen the light of who Jesus is, someone else helped you to see. Someone else helped you to see the truth of who he is. Someone else helped bring light to the place where you would say, yeah, I once was blind, but now I see. As you open your eyes, Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew 5 to his followers, that's what you're called to do, to help the world around you see He's like, not to look at the world in a certain way, but help them, help them see. Here's what he wrote, Matthew 5, 14. He says, you, you're the light of the world. You're surrounded by people who are in darkness. They cannot see. He says, but you, you're the light of the world. You're like a city set on a hill. It can't be hidden. People don't put a, put a lamp uh, under a basket. No, they stick it on a stand so everyone can see. 
so they can see. He's like, that's who you are on this planet. I want people to see. I want people to see. And he says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine. Why? So that all can see and that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You're the light of the world. Let them see your good works because when they see that, they're going to see him. And when they can look to him, they may experience salvation, the power of the gospel. It's incredible. You know, in the stories that Jesus told, he made one more major point that I don't want us to miss this morning. He didn't just say that it was like a, just like a lost lamb. And he didn't say it was just that a person was blind. He said something more, and it comes up in the end of the story. As he describes the, the, this other brother that, the, that, this, that this prodigal son had, he had this other brother uh, who looked down on him. And, and when the father says, hey, we're going to have a barbecue. Every, my son came home. The older brother comes over and he looks and he's like, what, what, what do you mean, dad? Why are we going to have a party for him? Look at him. Smell him. Like, dad, what are we doing? Would you just look at him? And I think the father would say the same thing to the older brother. And he'd say, hey, yeah, would you just look at him? Look at him. He says, you know what? Verse 32, he says, we have to celebrate this happy day. He says, your brother was dead. It's not just blind. It's not just lost. He was dead. I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. He was dead, but now he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. See, he's like people around us. He's like, he says, he says they, they, they were dead, but now they're alive. The good news is that God sees. He sees lost people. He sees blind people. He sees dead people, and he calls them to life. That's the good news, that he sees them, but then he calls them to life. I love that song, Glorious Day. We sing those words, I was breathing, but not alive. How many people do you know that are walking around you that would not know those words, but they live it out every single day? breathing, but they're not really alive. The young guy in our church who just got a job in Brantford, this week he was telling me, he's like, Mark, these guys are just high all the time. And I asked him, like, why, why you, like, can't you just not be high? And they're like, well, we, we, just, we just feel like we can't talk when we're not, when we're not high. And they marvel at him. They're like, how come you, a young guy, you can just He's like, you can just talk about your life and you just, you seem like to be able to have conversations without being high. Like, it's just weird to us. And he says to me, he's just, he's, I think he's like 18 years old. He says, Mark, he's like, I see these people. He's like, they've lost or don't even know how to be human anymore. They don't even know how to just simply talk to someone else and just be open with someone else without having some drug that induces it. They're breathing. They're not alive. You know, t- 20, uh, 20 years ago, there was a movie that came out called The Sixth Sense. You're old enough to remember that, the little boy sitting in the bed telling the guy, I'm ready to tell you my secret now. I see dead people everywhere. They don't know they're dead. They're walking around like they're alive, but they're, they're dead. God sees dead people, do you? We look and we see outside exteriors. We see the Hagar sitting on the side of the road and the mess they've got themselves into. But he doesn't see it that way. And if you're here this morning and you feel like life is a mess, he sees you. But he just sees you as lost. He sees you maybe as blind and wants you to see. And he sees you as dead but calling you to life. And it's so important that we see the world the way he sees the world because this world is going to end someday. And Jesus, as we close this morning, describes what it'll look like when time on this planet's finished. He's the one who knows. 
You know, if God tells us this is what it's going to look like in the end, it's probably a good idea for us to pay attention. He says all the people of the world will be separated into two groups after this time is over. Again, two groups. In Matthew 25, he says this. Matthew writes it down. He says, And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Because I was hungry. The king is saying this to the people. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And all those righteous people who are on their way to to eternal glory will reply to him, Lord, when did we ever see you? Have I truly seen the one who sees me? When did I ever see you? hungry and feed you? When did I see you thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality? When did I see you naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? You know, people have always wanted to see God. I have conversations with people about faith and like, well, if God would just show himself to me, then I would believe. It's hard to believe in something I can't see. And people always have had this. There's people that hung around with Jesus there's a guy named Philip who said to Jesus, Jesus, would you just show us God and then we'll believe? He's like, what, Philip? Like, you're looking at him. He's like, he says, if you, he says, show us the Father. And he's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm trying to explain to you that I'm God in a bod. I'm God on the planet. If you've seen me, you've seen the face of Jesus. And still, people want to see the face of Jesus. It's what makes things like the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud of Turin is this, it's, it's this piece of fabric that they believe was wrapped around the face of Jesus. And as the blood um, was uh, absorbed into the fabric, it, it had this look of a face. And so it's been preserved for years. The science t- has tested, carbon dated, tested this, and think it comes from the Middle Ages. But it doesn't really matter when and what. People flock to see this thing whenever it's uh, opened to the public. It's only open to the public uh, uh, for one month every few years. And so this, they bring out this, this uh, thing. And in 2010, 2 million people made an appointment to see this piece of cloth. Why? Because they want to see the face of Jesus. I love it that Rick's here because actually it was at our VBS service last year, that he said similar words what Jesus would have said. Do you want to see the face of Jesus? You've already seen him. You just don't realize it. And here's what Jesus answers the people who said the question. When did we see you? And the king will say in verse 40, he says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to me, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Whenever you served, whenever you visited, whenever you did something for someone else, you did that for me. You want to see the face of Jesus there? He's all around you. He says, the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, because the opposite is true. You cursed ones into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. It wasn't prepared for you, but that's where you're going. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was stranger, you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Verse 44, he says, they'll reply, Lord, when did we ever see you? If we had known it was you, we would have done it. We didn't see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or sick or in prison or, and, and not help you. And he'll answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they'll go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And as I read that, I don't read that to preach that to you. I read that just simply just for myself as well. You know, the, 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 the response to today's message is as individual as every individual here, and, and, and here's why. Final thought. Summer is sea season. And I put that up there 
Just leave that up there because that looks so much more cool than what I'm about to say. Summer is sea season. And I hope as you see this, you're reminded of this, that this life is see and do season. See and do season. And that's what Jesus was saying to this group of people He's, and saying to us, you know, there's a, there's a health and safety saying um, at one of the industries around here. They said, if you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. And it's one of those things that I think too many Christians, that's their mantra. Oh, I see somebody in need. I'll say something to the pastor. I see somebody in need. I'll say something to the church because they should help. But Jesus isn't saying that. He's like, listen, I want, if you see something, I had you see it for a reason because I want you to do something about that. You see it, you do it. Well, others might not agree with, you know, the, the person that you see because they don't see. But if you see them, I want you to do something about it. But God, how can I do something about it? Yeah, you're going to have to trust me because we're going to do this together. But I want you to do it. So when did we see Jesus? Let me leave you with this thought. When did we see Jesus? Maybe it's a single parent who's feeling helpless. Maybe it's a suicidal teen who feels hopeless. Maybe it's the bullied student who's feeling loveless. Maybe it's the bully themselves who feels friendless. Maybe it's the older person who's feeling purposeless or the refugee who's feeling homeless. The street person who feels penniless, the young person who feels directionless, or the lost person who simply feels valueless. When did we see Jesus? How will we see the world? How will we see those who have eternal value? How will you, how will I? And each of us gives an account of how we see the world. And so this morning, just to those groups of people, for you here this morning, if you're not a Jesus follower, This summer, I hope that you realize that you're seen by the God of the universe. I hope that you realize you're seen. And today, I hope that you actually look to him and that you hear him call your name. And that you say, I'm running out of that old life, that mess. I didn't know. I didn't know there was another way. But yeah, I'll take it. Jesus, I'm coming after you. I'm following you. I'm receiving you. I'm living with you. No matter what age, no matter how long you've been in church, that could be you this morning. And for the Jesus followers here, the Jesus followers here this morning, I hope this summer that you see the world. I really hope you see the world this summer. And I hope that they see Jesus as a result. Today's maybe a whole bunch of scattered thoughts from different parts of the scripture that come together. My hope and trust this morning is that Holy Spirit speaks to you. What you need to hear speaks to me what I need to hear. And then we go out and do something with what we've heard this morning. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and powerful. (laughs) It's not like anything else. It just grips us, changes us from the inside. Holy Spirit, we just ask this morning that as we've looked at a lot of different things, that you'd help each of us understand what your desire is for us as individuals in this journey with you. Lord, I just want to say thank you for seeing me. Thank you for seeing me when I was lost. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for the hope that you've poured in my heart. Thank you for freedom that we have. Thank you that we can sing these songs and that they're true. Lord, I just pray that you'd help me to see the world around me, the opportunities that we've passed up in the past. We'd have a different response the next time we see them. Remind us, Holy Spirit, of that. Thank you for the amazing change that may happen in the world as we shine for you this week. In your beautiful name I pray. Amen.